one morning early in 1913, Hardy found, among the letters on his breakfast table, a large, untidy envelope decorated with Indian stamps. When he opened it, he found sheets of paper, by no means fresh, on which, in a non-English holograph, were line after line of symbols. Hello and welcome to the PLUS podcast. I'm Rachel Thomas. That was Victoria Gould reading from the foreword to G.H. Hardy's A Mathematician's Apology. The foreword, written by C.P. Snow, describes the day Hardy received his first letter from Srinivasa Ramanujan, the unknown Indian mathematician with whom he went on to form one of the most remarkable collaborations in mathematical history. It was this scene and the poetic descriptions of mathematics in Hardy's book that inspired Simon McBurney, the artistic director of theatre company Complicite, to create a show, A Disappearing Number. Actor and mathematician Victoria Gould, who we spoke to in our last podcast, and mathematician and recently appointed Professor of the Public Understanding of Science, Marcus de Soto, were both involved in the development of the show, and in this podcast we talked to both of them about the experience. But first, let's hear the rest of C.P. Snow's description of Hardy's day, and then Victoria will explain how the play came about. That particular day, though, while the timetable wasn't altered, internally, things were not going according to plan. At the back of his mind, getting in the way of his complete pleasure in his game, the Indian manuscript nagged away. Wild theorems. Theorems such as he had never seen before, nor imagined. A fraud of genius? A question was forming itself in his mind. As it was Hardy's mind, the question was forming itself with epigrammatic clarity. Is a fraud of genius more probable than an unknown mathematician of genius? Clearly, the answer was no. Back in his rooms at Trinity, he had another look at the script. He sent word to Littlewood that they must have a discussion after Hall. Apparently, it did not take them long. Before midnight, they knew and knew for certain. The writer of these manuscripts was a man of genius. It started as a as as many wonderful things have as an idea in Simon McBurney's fantastic head. Um, <laughs> it was given the book by his friend Michael Andarchi, who's a who's a brilliant poet, um, called A Mathematician's Apology, which was G. H. Hardy's this one song, I suppose, the book he wrote um, towards the end of his career, wrestling with what mathematics was and what it meant to him and how real it was. Um, and it's a very, very beautiful book and it, it deals a lot with his collaboration with Srinivasa Ramanujan, who is a, uh, an Indian mathematician. It has a very beautiful foreword by C.P. Snow, which describes the day when G.H. Hardy received the letters from Ramanujan. And so by... By the, by the end of that evening, Hardy realised that he was, had, had, had discovered a genius. And it was a very beautiful story about Ramanujan coming, coming to, to Cambridge and collaborating with Hardy. And that was the, really the kernel of the play um, that Simon wanted to, wanted to make. Um, and we spent really a couple of years exploring it and devising it. And we worked with some marvellous people, with um, a musician Nitin Sawney and the dancer Akram Khan and all sorts of, of people. And we got a company together. 
and we kind of teased out this extraordinary show, which is which is about their collaboration, but it's also about there are other stories in in the show um, set in the modern world. And we, we, what we really didn't want to do was was do a kind of um, exposition of mathematics. We didn't want to. We wanted to somehow embody the maths within the stories and within the music and the rhythms and the space of the show. Um, we wanted it to be a a mathematical experience as well as a theatrical one. Marcus de Soto was involved in the development of the play when Complicite asked him to come in to explain some of the mathematics done by Hardin Ramanujan. I asked Marcus exactly what made their mathematical collaboration quite so remarkable. Hardy's discovery of Ramanujan and his work was quite unusual because as written in the book, you know, he was used to receiving many manuscripts written with wild theorems, but he gradually realised that Ramanujan's work was a work of genius. What kind of work had Ramanujan done at that stage and what kind of work did he and Hardy manage to do together? Well, for me, what what Hardy recognised was that Ramanujan had basically reconstructed on his own a huge swathe of 19th century mathematics. Um, the mathematics that Riemann had developed to understand prime numbers was clearly... Uh, something that Ramanujan had understood. The, uh, I mean, I, I told them about this 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 all the way up to infinity equals minus to 1 twelfth. It was something that I wrote about in uh, my book, The Music of the Primes. And, and I think they thought this was just so weird. But, you know, uh, what Hardy recognised in that statement is that Ramanujan had been able to do something called the uh, analytic continuation of the Riemann zeta function to be able to write down that formula. He had no proof uh, backing it up. He didn't explain it, but that was very much um, the style of Indian mathematics is that you produce the results and not um, all the, um, the the workings out, as it were. Um, so Hardy recognised uh, the genius of Ramanujan to be able to do this without ever having seen it before. I mean, it had taken European mathematicians centuries to get to that level. Um, but Hardy was excited about prime numbers. He was working on the Riemann hypothesis. He was trying to make breakthroughs on primes. And here was Ramanujan writing to him saying he'd had made breakthroughs and that he had a formula which could calculate the number of primes with a a remarkable degree of accuracy. Um, Now, it turned out that uh, Ramanujan hadn't quite done all that he'd thought he'd been able to do. He didn't really understand that there were things called complex zeros of the Riemann zeta function. So Hardy realised he had to bring him up to speed with what the state of knowledge was at the moment. Um, But I think it was the primes that got them excited. But I think the really stunning breakthroughs were on this thing called the partition function. The mathematicians of that period were looking for approximations for the number of partitions, just in the same way as we were understanding an approximation for the number of primes up to any uh, large number. Um, um, but Ramanujan was still brought up, Hardy used to sort of compare him almost to an Euler, that Euler um, was still giving very precise formulas for things. And, and Ramanujan just believed there should be a formula for um, the number of partitions. Um, and it was in mathematics, what you need is almost that arrogant confidence to push you through to find an answer. Um, often it's a little bit like uh, with too much knowledge you can count yourself out of the problem and and Ramanujan almost his innocence almost a bit like uh, often compare it to something like Parsifal the innocent fool is the person who's able to slay the dragon it's those who know fear um, who who cannot make progress so Ramanujan had this confidence um, which uh, Hardy just 
you know, didn't understand where he was getting that confidence from. But it was the com- combination of them. I and mean, that's what's so beautiful is um, you needed the analytic mind of uh, Hardy who understood proof and how to explain something. And you needed that almost amazing intuition that Ramanujan had to, to make those leaps into the unknown and, and, and sort of join up the dots. A mathematician, like a painter or a poet, is a maker of patterns. If his patterns are more permanent than theirs, it is because they are made with ideas. The mathematician's patterns, like the painter's or the poet's, must be beautiful. The way that Simon works at Complicity, um, and he is extraordinarily... uh, kind of brave in this way I think is to bring in a lot of interesting people interesting elements into one enormous room and just play I mean he calls it coming coming to play so that brings people in to play um, so we had a, a huge number of people throughout the process coming in but all but very specifically um, and we also had in the room we have costumes we have a very brilliant sound designer who can just bring bring you whatever you want um, and we also have fantastic um, visual artist with a, a, a video designer and um, and analyzing people in all in the room together uh, working very much together so that if you can really throw open your ideas to almost anything that could happen in the room uh, and he brought together dancers and musicians but we would talk about extraordinary things you know we talk we would literally spend um, a whole day talking about the difference of two squares or <laughs> Uh, Marcus came in a lot and helped. Yeah, he was part of the process. You were involved with Complicité in developing the show A Disappearing Number. Um, could you tell us something about the process of developing the show? Yeah, I mean, it's a very organic process that um, Complicité use, and it's very my time with them it's felt very much like doing mathematical research in a collaborative way each person brings different ideas and it's almost like uh, building a ladder you just one person creating a script would never get as far as all of these people you create different rungs um, and actually I think they when they brought me in they thought they were just going to use me for an afternoon of a bit of maths I think but um, what they didn't realize was that I'm a complete complicite nut, uh, you know, a really big fan. And I'd done work with them um, uh, in the 80s, actually, when I was working with a community theatre in Oxford. And I just love the way that they work. It's, um, for me, they treat um, the theatrical space like, like a magical space, which you can do something that you cannot do um on television or in film and so you want to celebrate theatre for what it's special at um, and, and that really appealed to me and it's something that I feel is rather like the magical space of mathematics that you know it, it is somewhere where you can do things which you can't do in reality. Uh, and so what they were interested in is was embedding mathematics into the play they didn't want it just to be a play about mathematicians which it can so easily be you know they're they're interesting characters Hardy and Ramanujan but um, with fantastic stories but Simon McBurney wanted to go beyond that and try and embed mathematics in the structure of the play I mean I've done a lot of theatre in my background and and 
done a lot of workshopping uh, and, and theatre games. So I was quite sensitive to the way Complicité works. So I tried to come up with the sessions that I did with them with games that were theatrical, which explored the mathematics. And there's a very easy one in some sense, which is the partition function, which is um, something that Ramanujan and Hardy were very successful in analysing. The partition of a number is a way of uh, of writing a number as sums of sm- smaller numbers. So five I can write as four plus one, or three plus one plus one, or three plus two. And, well, you can do that. It's a beautiful exercise in the theatre. You take five actors and you ask them to find all the different ways that they can group themselves. You know, they can be five individuals, or they can be five as a group, or four together and one left out. And it creates an beautiful dynamic um, if you explore that and just the different ways that people brought out the dynamics of the partition function through theatre was magical I think one of the things I thought seeing it was that embodiment of the mathematical ideas there's a well, there's a lot of play on the language used to describe or to name mathematics such as partitions or decomposition and their understanding in normal English language and their understanding mathematically and I thought that was one of the really interesting things, the idea of bringing mathematics as part of... The human condition. The human condition, yeah. yeah. There was another theme in the show, of, of a, which is that of a convergent series, and we looked a lot at the series, um, the summation of 1 over 2 to the n, and it was 1 to infinity, which is 1 plus a half plus a quarter plus an n, which sums to 2 but never actually gets there. And A lot of the actors were completely freaked by that sense of, of asymptotic relationships, which mathematicians are used to, but... but um, that, that sense of, of two people, you know, to, I mean, it says a lot to me about the human condition that, that you can never actually reach somebody else, yeah. however hard you try it. The ideas, like the colours or the words, must fit together in a harmonious way. It may be very hard to define mathematical beauty, but that is just as true of beauty of any kind. We may not know quite what we mean by a beautiful poem, but that does not prevent us from recognising one when we read it. You really have to be prepared to make a complete hit of yourself and also to just be open to anything happening and yeah and we, I remember making a mad piece where we were wearing blue plastic bags on our heads to do again a rationality of route two um, you know potty things but when something is really right and beautiful you kind of know and I know that Simon in the, in the play and, and when he makes theatre is looking for that moment when all the audience will kind of have come together in terms of the same having the same image or the same sense of being together in the room in, in their heads when they're telling a story. And um, for me, that's very analogous to the way that, that math- mathematicians work. Is that, you know, quite a lot of time you're just doing stuff which is, which is not going to work, which is rubbish. But when something is right, you do know... And it's, for me, it's about that idea of... I talked about self-consistency, that, that when something is right, there is a consensus that it's right. Um, and when a piece of, a piece of theatre is beautiful... There's a consensus. You can feel it in the audience. You can feel it in the air. I mean, that's why I prefer theatre to film. Is mm. and, and the sort of universality of that people actually 
everybody likes the same things. You know, everybody, everybody loves the same stories. Everybody, you know, what brings us together? And I, and I feel that about maths. I think maths is, a, is something that, that brings people together. It's something we have in common. In the same way that a piece of theatre brings people together. And were you able to identify with this idea of um, Hardy talks about it in his book and uh, the people from Complicite talked about it, the idea of there being a beauty that you can recognise in mathematics which equals truth, essentially, and that you know when you're going in the right direction, whether you're producing theatre or whether you're doing mathematics, by your finding something beautiful or the way that you're getting there is, is beautiful. I mean, do you find that in your own research work? I think... Um it's it, it is a very important um, factor in in choosing the right direction to go in. I mean, it, it's amazing. That's why in mathematics I find um, a much more satisfying subject than biology, which is much messier and and, and somehow doesn't have necessarily that same sense of um, beauty equals truth. Uh, um, of course, it doesn't always work. I worked on a conjecture for ten years, which was really uh, would have been beautiful had it been true. It was a beautiful symmetry happening in certain polynomials that I was working on, and then uh, my PhD student came in one day and showed me the whole thing didn't work, and they produced an example where it didn't have this symmetry. Um, so you have to be careful um, searching for you know that's idea of simplicity and beauty always equaling the truth because it's not necessary what did it feel like when something that you've been working on for such a long time realized that that wasn't going to work out well of course um uh you know, devastating start with because I, you know, seem to have wasted so much time spending ten years working on that. But then there's always a silver lining. There was actually much more interesting texture there because of that. Um, the fact that sometimes it didn't work, and then it became a process of understanding. Well, why did it work in so many cases and not in these other cases? So um, sometimes uh, there, there's a richness appears out of something which is a little bit more complex. So what's interesting, I do a lot of work with uh, other creative artists um, in the theatre, music, dance, um, sculpture, painting. And when I talk to artists, uh, I'm always interested to know whether they have a sense of, you know, is there a right answer for them? And and quite often there is. I mean, I've talked to novelists and they have that sense that suddenly everything clicks together because it's, and it is like a moment in a proof where you've joined up things. Uh, You throw away a chapter and then it, it just totally makes sense. It was really nice to watch the play as well because it, really brought home that feeling which I guess I've always felt that mathematics is sometimes closer to creative arts or philosophy or um, than it is to some of the other science subjects. I mean is that something that you've found particularly with your collaborations with other artists? It's the reason I became a mathematician because I read Hardy's Mathematician's Apology when I was at school. It was one of the books my mathematics teacher recommended to me which changed my whole course. You know, I was going to do languages, I was interested in playing music, I was doing theatre and I didn't really I wasn't really into getting my hands messy with a load of chemicals and then suddenly I read this book and it said maths is a creative art not a useful science Hardy was doing maths for the beauty of it he didn't want it to be applied applied was uh, um, degraded mathematics and you know this was just what I wanted to hear and that's why I decided I I think I can be a mathematician that looks consistent with my my love of the things that you know the things that I love Um, so I totally recognize that and that's why I I really enjoy spending time with creative artists like Complicite or like um, the project I'm doing with Dorothy Carr, a composer about Borges, um, you know, because there, there is so much in common between the way we think and, 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 and our goals, I think. You've just been made the Professor of Public Understanding of Science, um, following on from Richard Dawkins. I mean, do you 
think that this is maybe a message that you might try and bring through that position, the idea that it maths is so unconnected, not just with the other sciences, but with arts as well. Yeah, very much so. I think if, if Dawkins' um, mission was about uh, connections between science and religion or not, I think uh, my real passion is about connections about between science and the arts. And I think, you know, 2009 is an exciting year, actually, because it's a celebration of the 50 years of C.P. Snow's lecture on the two cultures, which said that in England, uh, you know, the, the Either you're a humanist or you're a scientist, but never the twain shall meet. And it's quite acceptable for somebody to say they hate science. And so I, I think that uh, it'd be great if, if we make 2009 a platform in a way for um, bringing together these disciplines and showing how that they can benefit each other. Very often it's the scientists who are telling the artists interesting new structures. And I think the challenge is to get artists think making scientists think in new ways which might give them breakthroughs we can often get very blinkered in the way we're looking at a problem maybe um somebody from the arts can ask a question of us that um will open up a subject for us so you know i think that we want genuine dialogue i think between the arts and the sciences have you ever had that experience of one of your um interactions with poets or composers or theater productions has informed your own work well yes i think there was a my work on borges and this um story the uh, library of babel um which is basically a description of a geometric space and reading that story makes you think well what is the shape of this library and I, i've started to ask questions of myself which i've never thought of before about the geometry of paths through a four-dimensional shape um, which may have been studied already but i'm not sure whether they have or not but for me they were new questions which were which came up out of um, reading this book with this choreographer and composer um, and so th they were new questions that i hadn't thought of before which came out of that collaboration I know we were all very excited when you became when you were made professor because we kind of felt like this was a new um, stage for mathematics and I think the importance of mathematics is starting to become accepted but still obviously there's that massive stereotype and the fact that people are very happy to say I hate maths, maths is boring where they would never say that about even some of the sciences but particularly about literature or reading or something. I mean are you keen to make mathematics part of the main platform of that professorship or is it important for you to cross all the sciences when you do that work no I think you know I have to be um, honest to who I am I am a mathematician and I think you know I'm only one person and that job I cannot speak for the whole of science and I think it's important that people recognize that you know it's not my job to do to talk about all of science and I think it, I see it as my role to encourage a other scientists from other disciplines to uh, join in trying to communicate. Um, but I think mathematics is a great choice for this um, uh, chair because I think mathematics is a language which underpins so many of the other sciences. You know, you can't understand what's happening in the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider in CERN, without mathematics. That's what's making those predictions about what we're going to see next. Um, uh, evolutionary biology as well. There's a lot of mathematics which hides um, behind that about population growth, the, the behaviour of that, uh, climate change. There's they're, they're big mathematical questions, and I think that that will be the interesting thing to show how mathematics is embedded as fundamental to all of the other sciences. So it sounds like quite an exciting time then for mathematics. Then I, I think it is an exciting time, and I think there's an appetite for it. That that play sold out. Um, I mean, Complicite uh, have a big cult following. On the other hand, you know, this was a play about maths, but it sold out at the Barbican the first run, it sold out the second run, it won the you know, Best Play, Olivier Best Play Award, and it's been now, it's touring across the world. Um, and I think that people have an appetite to, to access this world, which I think, as you say, people understand the other sciences a little better. 
But that's what makes mathematics therefore interesting, because people don't really know what we're doing, and I think they'd quite like to know. That's all we've got time for in this podcast. But if you'd like to read more about Complicite's production, A Disappearing Number, or the mathematics behind it, including a career interview with Victoria Gould, then visit Plus Magazine, plus.maths.org. Happy reading and goodbye for now.